It's a privilege to be able to share the word this morning with you, um, with my church family. Uh, Following our theme of reflections in the Psalms, I'll be speaking from Psalm 91 this morning. Let's pray before we, and commit this time to the Lord. Father, you are so lavish in your love for us. You pour your blessings down day by day, week by week, month by month. And Lord, uh, right now it's sometimes hard for us to, to hear. There's uh, so much distraction in our lives and in our world around us. But Father, we want to see and hear from you this morning. We want your word to speak to us. So we ask that, that your word will speak to us and uh, that we will have hearts and minds that are open to what you have to say. Thanks, God, for your lavish and extravagant blessings upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sermon titles are sometimes a little tricky. Uh, You want to capture the the key thought um, or thoughts in a kind of pithy, relevant uh, way. Any sermon on uh, Psalm 91 Uh, could be entitled, God's Antidote to Stress and Anxiety. If you have your your Bibles, I invite you to turn up Psalm 91. I'm not going to read it all the way through, so uh, we'll be uh, going through it, though, section by section. So it could be titled, God's Antidote to Stress and Anxiety, My Refuge and Fortress, My Security Blanket, or as one writer put it, A Psalm for a Time of Plague. Interesting title. I'll go with the subtitle of a book by Peggy Joyce Ruth, God's Umbrella of Protection. Humanities always long for peace and security, knowledge of who we are, our identity, and community. Yet our headlines today are full of unsettling reminders of violence, family breakdown, climate uncertainty, food insecurity, social unrest, crime and injustice. We've all heard uh, about how the media concentrate on all the negatives. And, uh, but to be honest, sometimes when there is a good news story, we kind of do something else. We're, we don't listen to it sometimes very hard. Many people feel like there's something wrong, but it's hard to put a finger on it. Fear, anxiety, depression, hostility and division in our country and world are really quite epidemic right now, reaching down to some of our youngest members, our children. Uh, It's not unusual to hear news reports about the anxiety that uh, children or fear that children are feeling. Uh, Some of it is specific, some of it seems quite vague. Because our lifespans are relatively short, some of us feel this is a new phenomenon. Surely, nothing like this has ever happened before, right? Uh, This is new. I mean, wow. But even a brief reading of the Bible will tell us that uh, not too long after Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden and sin entered our world, all hell broke loose. Genesis 6.5 tells us, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention 
of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Both scripture and history tell us that mankind has been at war many more years than he has been at peace. Evil and corruption have thrived, and man's basic needs haven't always been met. I read a statistic, and of course, if it's on the internet, it has to be true, right? The <laughs> it uh, had said that in the last 4,000 or so years, uh, mankind has been at peace, a total of, I believe it was, 257 years. Whether it's true or not, I think the, the message is understandable, that uh, we have been fighting with each other uh, more than we have been cooperating with each other. Consider this quote from the book, The Last Apocalypse, Europe at the year 1000 AD, by a man named James Reston. In AD 1000, Otto III, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation, probably didn't have that in history class, paid a visit to Charlemagne's tomb. Charlemagne is a very famous king, as you probably remember. Otto had apocalypse on his mind, and considering himself emperor of the last days, he felt the need to pay tribute to the man who had established the kingdom of Christ in Europe. That was Charlemagne. To Otto, the end of the world, as predicted in the Bible, seemed to be at hand. Nations were at war, and royal courts were rife or saturated with corruption. The Holy See which is the governing body of the Catholic Church, was a chaotic and debauched institution. And the population of once glorious Rome had shriveled to about 50,000. Plague was rampant, and a 30-year-old famine had driven many peasants to cannibalism. Or consider these headlines. Epidemic of influenza threatens the whole world. July 13, 1918. That was the Spanish flu. Um, I don't know, Glenn, you might remember that. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway. A gang raided the hotel at the Needles, California, September 3rd, 1883. By thousands, people are killed. Greatest horror in the history of modern times. August 29th, 1883. It's referring to the explosion of the volcano on uh, Krakatoa which is uh, around Indonesia. Um, I mentioned already today's headlines, possible climate catastrophes, war in Africa, Ukraine, Mideast, threat of nuclear war, drought, will I be able to afford my house or food, social chaos, mental health issues, on and on. Man has been faced almost since the creation with this thought, where does my hope lie? How do I cope in the most difficult of times? Who am I? Who can I turn to? Psalm 91 is God's antidote to the chaos, uncertainty, and anxiety of all ages, including ours. It was written for those and to those who have put their faith and trust in him. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the famous uh, evangelist, um, describes Psalm 91 this way. In the whole collection, there is not a more cheering psalm. Its tones is elevated its, and sustained throughout. 
Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. This psalm describes God's provision for those who love and trust him as the storms of life swirl around us. The outcome for believers? Calmness, peace, and stability, no matter what is happening around us. Unlike a lot of other psalms, it doesn't have an author listed. Uh, often you'll see uh, to the chief musician or uh, Psalm of David or whatever. Uh, some think it could have been Moses. Others think it could have been David. Uh, has kind of elements of both. But whoever wrote, us, wrote it has left us with a, a really wonderful assurance of God's provision and protection. God's assurance of protection, Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those two verses in this psalm are key. It comes ahead and sets the conditions, if you like, for the rest of the the psalm. They're rich in description, both of the type of security that God has given us and the attributes of God who provides that security. Uh, Because really, when you think about it, our security is in the Lord. It's not in money. It's not even in the police force. It's not in government. It's in God himself. There are four types of shelters or protections mentioned in the two verses. The shelter, the shadow, the refuge, and the fortress. And four names of God. Most High, God Almighty, the Lord, and God. We'll look at each of those as we go through. Verse 1 talks about the shelter. Some Bible translations translations call it the secret place of the Most High. A shelter or secret place hides you from danger. In this context, it describes a shelter prepared by God himself. Psalm 31.20 says, In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You, meaning God, store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. The person who lives in that shelter, and take note of this, lives in that shelter, dwells in the secret place. It's not to look from afar, and it's not to pop in and out every now and then. It's to live. Will abide or stay in the shadow of the Almighty. Unfortunately, a lot of us as believers live outside the shelter much of the time. And we run to it only when we have exhausted our own resources. I know that's been the case with me. Presented with a problem, some of them big. We'll talk about some of those problems a little later. Some of them big, some of them more niggly. Some of them are people. And what do I do? The first thing I do is, okay, I've got to figure out a plan here. What's my plan A? What's my plan B? Hmm. Rather than running to God with it. Running to God is not weakness, folks. Running to God is tapping into the, uh, the strength of the one who created the universe. Then there's the shadow. 
To live in the shadow of someone means you're very close to them. Of necessity, a person's shadow doesn't fall very far. So we don't want to get too far from the person we're living in the shadow of. Now, in this case, in our culture, sometimes when we say we're living in the shadow of someone, that's not necessarily a, a positive thing. It can be a negative. Uh, we're overshadowed. In, you've probably heard that expression. It does not mean, in this case, being less than someone else. Uh, living in the shadow of a colleague or a sibling or a friend, for example. But to live in the Almighty's shadow is to have his protection spread over us. It is our comfort, strength, and security. It reminds us of the shadow of a mother bird's wings over her young. Then there's the refuge. My refuge is a place of security. Sometimes we have, we call our cottages, if we have one, a refuge, or a camp we go to, it's a refuge. We, you get away from everything that's going on around us. It's a place of security. Some houses are built with panic rooms or safe rooms, uh, particularly in some of the cities and so on, but not only. These are specially constructed, fortified places, usually in a home with food, water, separate air controls, communications that the home's inhabitants go to uh, for safety during a break-in or some other emergency. God provides that kind of security for the believer. And lastly, there's a fortress. That's pretty self-explanatory. Sometimes fortresses. Refuge uh, is sometimes very secret, very hidden away. A fortress, though, can sometimes be seen for miles. Protects us from attack. Walls, turrets, lookouts, locked and barred entrances keep out the enemy. So God provides all kinds of protection for all circumstances to us as believers. I mentioned that there are four Hebrew words or names used for God in these two verses. The first one was Elyon, the most high, high above every other power. That's our God. El Shaddai is almighty, our God of unlimited strength and resources. Yahweh, the Lord, the one to whom we owe our trust and allegiance and obedience. And Elohe, my God, my God, personal, my Savior, my King, Elohe. So those are the four types of protections that God offers and four attributes which don't totally describe God, but certainly a lot of the main elements of God. Verse 2 has a key phrase in it. I said that verse 1 and 2 were key to this whole psalm. It has a key phrase. I will say to the Lord, I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Words are really, really important in the Bible. There's many references to how important they are, whether we're giving a promise, whether we are making a commitment to someone or to God, uh, the encouragement that we get from words, and so on. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. God spoke the universe into, into being. 
so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has a power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Romans 10.9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. If I can just digress for a moment from, from that psalm and talk about words, specifically words that we speak about ourselves. Words, as I mentioned, are very important. I would say this, don't put yourself down. Speak about yourself in the same way God speaks about you. God sees you as his child. God sees you as his creation. I got into a habit a number of years ago when I'd screw up. Sometimes that happens more often than others. But I'd say, oh, you idiot. Ah, oh, geez, and, and, and call myself down. After doing that repeatedly for a while, someone said to me, stop that. What you do, what you say, as the old saying goes, if you repeat a lie often enough, you can't come to believe it. So I'd say to you today, from, from the words from Scripture, is don't put yourself down, even in jest. As Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So speak about yourself as God sees you. His child, his love, the person that he sent Jesus to redeem. You're special, you're precious. Jesus said that the words we speak come from what is in our hearts. Pertains to the last point I just made, Matthew 12, 34 and 35. In this case, in the psalm, our declaration to the Lord that he and he alone is the one we trust comes from a heart that knows God and has confidence that he's got our back. Our words make a difference. It is important for us to declare, my God in whom I trust. If you can't confidently declare that today, please bow before the Lord at some point sooner than later, and confess that, asking him to increase your faith, which as scripture says is also a gift. Faith is a gift. So we need to declare my God whom I trust. Our God of unlimited resources and strength will protect us as we dwell in his shelter. So today, right now, how do we enter this secret place? this shelter designed by God for our safety and security. One word, Jesus. Under the old covenant, God had established with Israel, very few people had encounters or an ongoing relationship with God himself. Their hope of salvation lay in love for God and his law and obedience to its commands. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 and 13 says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, 
to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. In fact, the people never directly came into God's presence. Priests were chosen to offer the sacrifices to God, and only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place in Israel where God's spirit dwelt, once per year, just once per year, to offer a sin sacrifice. It was a temporary measure which offered temporary forgiveness but had to be offered over and over and over again. This didn't work out well uh, as the Israelites continually broke God's law. Numerous times God had to deal with his people Israel through the prophets, through defeats in battle, and eventually exile to try and draw them back to himself. Yet, yet, he still offered shelter and safety to those who chose to love, trust, and obey him. Fast forward now to the time of Christ Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross provided a once-for-all means of forgiveness of sins and the possibility of restoration of mankind's relationship with God. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Our own efforts, folks, to feel better about ourselves, ultimately is a Band-Aid. It doesn't work. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus is God's only provision for humanity's salvation. Not a popular version of things today, but it's what God tells us. John 14, 6, what Jesus told us says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does this have to do with Psalm 91? Jesus is a way into God's shelter, his secret place. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, there's a lot of perks. The most obvious is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But like those product ads say, wait, there's more. You ever watch those? They are annoying at times, I'm afraid. Jesus opened the Holy of Holies so that we could approach God directly. He literally tore the veil, which shielded the Holy of Holies in the temple from view, in two so that we can have direct access to God. Imagine, we can access God's very presence now because of what Jesus did. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16. Analogies aren't perfect, but a good analogy might be our insurance policies. They always insure the main thing we're trying to insure, house, car, whatever. 
but often provide additional coverage, such as glass coverage for the house or theft uh, at no extra charge. Our relationship with Jesus provides not only eternal life later, but the promises of God found in Scripture right now. And there are many. Some of these promises are found in Psalm 91. Promise number one, Psalm 91.4, he will cover you with his pinions, that's his wings including the flight feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Two images repeated twice. It's a tool the writer used to say, pay attention to this. This is really, really important. I want you to note this. You will find refuge. Scripture often uses the metaphor of birds to describe either protection or God lifting us up. I mentioned about the pinions, and then in the same phrase or clause almost, he talks about um, wings. Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In contrast, Matthew 23, 37, Jesus longed to save the people of Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem. He said, How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The people refused shelter, a lot like they do today. We'll do it ourselves. Thanks very much. A shield, talking about the shield and buckler, was a large rectangular piece of metal that soldiers used. And you've probably seen it in movies, maybe, or documentaries, where they hid behind it while the arrows and spears and rocks and whatever else the enemy was throwing at them hit the shield. Uh, A buckler was a small round shield worn on the arm, and that was for close-up fighting. God protects us from all the darts of the enemy, no matter how they are launched. Promise number two, freedom from fear. That's a big one. Fear is a killer. I don't know if you've had the occasion of having an instance in your mind. Maybe it was a run-in with somebody. Maybe it's a what-if event. And that goes around in your mind over and over and over. Sometimes you take side trips. Boy, this could be really bad. This could be huge. Oh, man. Freedom from fear. Fear is a killer. It can have deep and long-lasting effects on our mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health probably not telling you anything you don't already know. It can injure and destroy relationships. The psalmist lists all the category types of things we could be afraid of in verse 5 and 6. Remember back when this psalm was written, that it was uh, written to uh, people who weren't living in cities in exactly the same way we are. And there was a fear back in in those uh, times of the night, So you talk about verse 5 and 6, night terrors. They could be physical events. Bad things do happen at night, even now, or demonic activity. The ancient world of the psalmist had a fear of that. War, lots of war. The arrows referred to remind me of the fiery darts of the evil one referred to in Ephesians 6. You can check that. Where we are encouraged to put on the full armor of God, more protection for the believer. Disease. 
social unrest. He tells us, we will not be afraid. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 2 Timothy 1, 7, one of my favorite verses. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. Remember, these promises are not for heaven when we get there or sometime down the road. They are ours right now. We can live in those promises today. That one of these items are referred to in our insurance policy. We can claim them immediately. They aren't based on us trying harder or becoming more educated. Jesus put them on the shelf where we can reach them right now, today. Promise number three, because of Jesus and us putting our faith in him, we will miss the judgments of God. Sometimes God allows things to happen in our, uh, our world as people withdraw from his presence and protection. I think we see a lot of that going on today. Um, verse 7 and 8 describes how we will witness God's judgment without being part of it. Promise number four, those who have made the Lord their dwelling place and refuge, meaning us, will avoid all kinds of evils and diseases. Charles Spurgeon wrote about his experience in 1854 London during an outbreak of cholera. He was frequently called upon uh, to a graveside or a sickbed. Over time, he became so weary and sick at heart, he felt, too, that he was getting sick. The burden was too much for him. Walking home after yet another funeral, he glanced at a scripture verse, pasted to a shop window. It read, this is in the best King James English. Because thou have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Psalm 91, verse 9 and 10. He went on to say that the effect on my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated or took that passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt, or with immortality. Like I said, best king's English. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. Does that mean that we will never have a disease that will be serious or terminal? No, it's not saying that. It means that God is with us. We are in the sh- his shelter at all times. All times. Promise number five. God will command his angels to guard us. People today may, think, uh, may snicker a bit when the subject of angels come up. But from beginning to end in the Bible, uh, it contains accounts and references about angels. Two of them are mentioned, Gabriel and Michael. They're mentioned by name. Angels are commanded to praise God, Psalm 148, verse 2. An angel freed Peter from jail. Angels announced the birth of Jesus. They are mentioned in Revelation numerous times. This is an additional provision or gift from God for our comfort and protection. Just one word. There are, there are those um, that will occasionally say, well, I'll, I'll pray to angels. No, that's not what it's saying. God commands his angels concerning us. 
So we are not to be seeking who, like who are, is our angel? Larry, Richard, Marla? Mm, not sure. Uh, no, no, no. That's not the way that works. Promise number six. You'll have victory over the troubles that come, whatever they are. Verse 13 reads, You will tread on the lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot. One of the really neat things about uh, Scripture is that they use types uh, in Scripture. I'm not sure that the psalmist was meaning here that we're going to be walking on lions or squishing snakes or anything like that. They're types. Uh, kind of seems strange, I guess, to put a bunch of animals uh, at this point in the psalm, but they represent problems that can plague us. For example, the lion represents those big in-your-face problems that grab you. Uh, car accident, serious illness, whatever that might be. They're the big in-your-face problems. The adder or snake are problems or people that slip in quietly. And then we suddenly detect that they're there, but it's, boy, oh boy, it becomes tough to deal with at times. They wreak havoc havoc sometimes in our lives. The young lion are small problems that need addressing right now, or they will become big problems. And the serpent are those fictitious problems we worry and fret about, but may not come true at all. Remember I've mentioned about how we, things go around and around and the mountain grows. The mountain gets bigger, things that may not ever happen to us. That's the serpent. But we can have victory over all of them by dwelling in the Lord's house and declaring how the Most High is our refuge, our God whom we trust. Up to now, the psalmist is writing to people mostly in the third person, but the last three verses, there's a switch. Is now God speaking... And he doubles down on his promises. Clean up in aisle four. (laughs) Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I'll protect him because he knows my name. When he, meaning us, our believers, called to me, I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because he, us as believers, holds fast to me in love. Loving God is a choice we can make, and we can do things that build on that love. Spending time with God, listening to him, reading what God has written to us. It is pretty common knowledge these days that church, particularly here in North America, does not know the word of God well. We don't read it enough. We don't meditate on on it enough. Reading what God has written to us, speaking to God, conversation. It doesn't need to be a theological uh, PhD treatise to speak to God. Thinking of God in unoccupied moments Adoring God, speaking of God to others, giving to God and making glad sacrifices to him and for him. God spoke wonderful things over the one who knows Jesus. The blessing of his presence, I'll be with him in trouble. The blessing of his protection, I will deliver him. The blessing of his promotion, I will 
honor him. The blessing of his prosperity with long life I will satisfy him. The blessing of his preservation and show him my salvation. Those are all in those last three verses. God doubling down on the promises that came early on in the Psalms. All of these blessings start with Jesus. He is our door to that dwelling place where God has promised his protection, his peace, and his salvation. We can choose to use his umbrella of protection or not. How can I get started? If you don't know Jesus, that's the place to start. Ask him to forgive you and enter your life. If you do know him, are you walking in regular communication with him, building those trust and faith muscles? If we were going to, if I was going to uh, run 50K, which uh, I think somebody in here was or is, um, I don't think I'd go out and do it tomorrow. Um, yeah, I might make it for the first 50 meters, but that'd be about the size of it. We have to exercise and build those faith muscles. Uh, and that means what I said to you before, listening, reading, praying, talking to God on a regular basis. Then we are ready when things happen. Praying, reading his word, getting together with other believers regularly. Pray using Psalm 91 over your own life, using your name. So that's something different. We can use scripture, uh, some, some of the pieces of scripture, and insert our own names into it because they're God's promises to his children. We can do that with Psalm 91. It's not a magic wand, so don't get that idea. You can wave it over all your problems, and in 10 seconds, uh, you'll have rabbits and flowers. That's not necessarily the way that it works either. But as we said, words are important, and speaking God's word is doubly important. Hebrews 4.12, and I'll finish up with, uh, with this. So if a uh, worship group wanted to, to come back, that would be great. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word being living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is God's word, after all. He knew what he was saying when he put it down. We can also walk in God's promises. I gave you six, five or six of them right out of Psalm 91. Again, this takes practice, but the effort is more than worth it. So this morning, are you going to choose to live under God's umbrella? There's room for everybody. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, our provider, our King, we thank you. Thank you for providing refuge, a fortress, that you hide us under the shadow of your wings, that in your presence, not only is there fullness of joy, but there's peace and hope. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who pray that the Holy Spirit will have prompted them in whatever way that he deems right. Whether it's to draw closer, whether it's to meet you, Jesus, for the very first time. Thank you for your provision 
for our salvation. And uh, Lord, we just lift up the remainder of this service to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.